has it started? Hello and welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's, the final episode before Christmas. This week, I'm going to continue the conversation, mainly because I had so much fun with it, towards realistic daydreaming. Motorbikes that you can dream of owning, that can take on the world, but are actually attainable. I'll get to that in a second. Just a few extra things I want to get to before then. As always, thank you so much for getting in touch with all of your thoughts and stories. The best place to do so, comment section below, and also emails if you've got a longer story and maybe some pictures. I personally read through every single comment and every single email. Huge apologies if I don't reply to all of you. I know some of you do sometimes question why am I not replying. I'm very, very sorry, but I do read all of them and they're all hugely appreciated. Without you, this wouldn't be possible. So thank you so much to everyone. I begin. Speeding in Latvia. This is, this is a conversation that's been going on for a couple of weeks. And every so often when I get an interesting one, I like to read it out. What are the different punishments for speeding in different parts of the world? Red Rupert, Latvia. I was banned for speeding here in Latvia for six months and fined 360 euros. That was 105 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone. I consider myself lucky as they can or could have restricted, or sorry, could have confiscated the bike. There are plans to tighten penalties further. Drink drivers, this is the interesting bit. Drink drivers, have their cars confiscated, and they're sent to Ukraine to help out. Let me do a bit now. What are you riding at the moment? This is, I always love these. This is Richard in Tenerife, enjoying some riding. Looks like Tenerife on Triumph and Easy Rider. All the way over from Western Canada. Richard, I hope you had a brilliant time. Always seeing those triumphs in Tenerife like that. Daydreaming. On to another triumph. Freddie, I have recently started. I mean, this is incredible. I've recently started biking. I own a 2010 Triumph Bonneville SE. I'm 30 years old and I live in West London. I've just got back from my first tour to Morocco. Imagine that. Just passed your biking test and straight off to Morocco. At the check-in for the Portsmouth to Santander ferry, apologies, didn't mention this, but pictures attached and included as I read this out because these are fantastic. At the check-in for the Portsmouth to Santander ferry, there were four bikers on Tenere 700s, all ahead of me, fully kitted up for adventure, including spare knobbly tires strapped to their seats. The tour was a great adventure. Riding solo, I felt total freedom. The bike performed well, mostly. The one issue I had was the neutral sensor overheating in the desert afternoons. It blocked the starting circuit. This was resolved by putting the bike in gear and back into neutral. Then the engine leapt back into life. I can write that solution calmly now, but at the time I was somewhat stressed being in the middle of nowhere between 
Maguza and Wazazat. There were times out in Morocco when I wished I was on a new bike that would give me 100% peace of mind. And there were moments when I caught sight of the Bonneville and I thought, that is a gorgeous machine. Rupert, that looks like a trip you'll never forget. And many happy memories from my point. I recognise roughly those areas. On to Paul. My fiancé has this little mesh, 70, at our base in France. We bought this immaculate 125cc model, 70, from Absolute Moto in Perigot last spring. A superb Enfield main dealer. It's 14 years old, a mash at 14 years old, and was the first model the French company Mash released, I believe, with only one and a half thousand kilometres and stunning classic trail bike looks. We couldn't resist it for one and a half thousand euros. It now complements my Scram 411 as we enjoy the pothole-free winding Dordogne roads. Paul, that is motorcycle heaven. On to Tom. Good evening. I drove down to Greenwich from Warrington with my dad today and our two Honda monkeys in the back of his VW caddy. For getting around London with all of the people and traffic around, I could not think of a better bike to do it on. Managed to get down to the bike shed from your recommendation and it didn't disappoint. Riding through the arches past all of the seating is an experience and the shop and cafe well worth the trip. Tom. Tom, these monkey bikes, just like the DAX that Honda have released. Honda now have a beautiful suite of mini retro bikes. All of them equally as appealing and they make so much sense in the modern world for city transport. To Keith, BMWs, we're getting on to the bigger stuff here. This is my BMW, video attached this time, my BMW R1200 GSTE 2010 model. Mileage, 45,000, including expanding panniers and top box heated handlebar grips. Full screen, BMW Motorrad GPS, automatic three-way adjustable suspension, tyre presser, pressure sensors, ABS, all optional extras, just too many to mention. The price for all that, £5,000. This is, for me, where things get so exciting. To be able to buy such a supreme machine such an upmarket premium machine for relatively so little money. I will admit they are getting quite tantalizing, these GSs, especially now the new model's out and a lot of people will now want to be trading in their older ones. I continue with Keith. This motorcycle has been regularly serviced, ridden and cherished through the four seasons with no problems whatsoever. Its handling and performance is almost that of the newcomers, plus parts are readily available. What more could you want from the ultimate riding machine? Keith, let's have a look at this. I mean, I'm quite excited and I'm not spe specifically a touring or an adventure motorbike rider, but for some people this will just be impossible to ignore now. I found without any issue at all, 2013 BMW R1200 GS, that is just 10 years old. 
It was advertised about a month ago. Now this is really interesting because I've been watching bike and car prices recently. If you can hold out, there are a lot of vehicles coming down in price at the moment. It was five and a half grand, it's now 4,750 pounds. It's got the premium package, so chrome exhaust, heated grips, additional fog lights on board computer, LED indicators, etc. Dynamic package, so tire pressure control, 40,000 miles, mainly used for commuting. But listen to this, BMW full service history, 500 miles, 6,000 miles, 13,000, 18,000, 24,000, 35,000. It is a full stamped BMW service history and all of that bike for all of that bike for 4750 on to john freddie you appear to have an almost pathological hatred of carbs but they're easy to set up properly they are a joy and far less complicated than fuel injection systems to adjust and repair. You really need to rethink your position as you're ruling out owning some great older bikes. I'll say this, John, completely honestly. I, I think I'm coming around to it and I'm not just saying that. I think I have been too dismissive of carbs. And that really hit home when I met Jake in Barcelona on his Honda VRX, 1995 model, I think. V-twin, carbed, classic style, Honda. Started first time, rode spot on, even though it hadn't been serviced in about three years or so. Jake gives it no special old bike or carb treatment. He just rides it normally, no special treatment, starts on the button, sounds exquisite, I think possibly I have just shut off carb bikes for no reason. And there's a big, big benefit here. I've always thought fuel injection bikes are better because they're just easier to maintain. But mentally, at least, my world came crashing in when I heard that my Bonneville is, in essence, not worth repairing from a proper mechanic with a workshop because it's not worth their time to do it. And I suddenly realised that I truly believe these simple older motorbikes are the bikes that are going to be staying on the roads longer because of just that reason, because they're so much simpler. Anything too complicated now, we do live in a throwaway society where if something's wrong, different parts will get thrown at a bike because mechanics just cannot justify spending 20 hours in diagnosing a problem if they've got the overheads of a facility to play or to pay for. They can't justify it. It doesn't make business sense. So these simpler bikes are just going to be making more and more sense. Even though they're older technology with carbs, at least a good mechanic will be able to get to the bottom of it without having to fork out huge amounts of money in changing many different complex electrical parts. So I think possibly more than ever, there is a place for these old, simple car bikes. And not just from a mechanic's point of view, from you and I, the DIY at-home mechanic, maybe who has a garage and some tools who can work on a bike themselves. I now fully understand the value of being able to work on a bike yourself, fix it, maintain it yourself, because that's the difference 
between being able to keep your pride and joy running, keep it on the road, and having it written off like my Bonneville. Because if I didn't have a YouTube channel and be lucky enough that there are so many kind people offering to help me, I would have no connections to other people offering to fix my bike. My Bonneville would now be broken up for parts. That's 100% guaranteed. My Bonneville would be in the scrapyard. Because I don't have the mechanical knowledge to fix it myself, and I do start to understand the value in that. I'm not saying I'm going to turn into an at-home mechanic, but I see the value in it. And I see the value and the beauty in the simplicity of carved bikes. On to Peter. I follow a couple of adventure motorcyclists and Africa is full of these things pictured. Usually barrowing or barreling along a dirt track three up. The name Baja Boxer. It stands for strength, endurance, ruggedness and durability. A motorcycle that can take on any road across the globe. A bike that has been the single largest selling bike across Africa and one of the most preferred bikes in more than 30 countries. Known for its reliability, the Boxer is extensively used as a moto taxi ridden by riders in many African countries, but not just that, in places like Egypt and Iran, the Baja Boxer is considered as a dependable motorcycle. Peter, you've come in here with the, at the perfect timing, because I was watching Itchy Boots going through Nigeria, ridiculously gripping viewing. If you're looking for something to watch on YouTube, it's, it's a fascinating insight into attempting to road trip across Nigeria. And all the way through, narrowly, Itchy Boots' travel, she is either getting past or passing these small little motorbikes, little 125, 150cc bikes, and I always wonder what they are. They look a bit like an old Honda CG or something. But I've never 100% been able to pinpoint what they are, but everyone is on them. And Itchy Boots got off the ferry, off her, I think Honda, it's a Honda I'm sure, off her Honda bike, fully laden with all of the panniers. But a proper off-roading setup. Rides off the ferry, completely thick, wet mud everywhere. It's completely sodden, the ground, in essence. It looks completely impassable. And Norley spends a while trying to figure out which way to go. Semi gets stuck and then starts getting on her way. And as she's riding through this thick, wet mud, two gentlemen whiz past her on what I believe is this Baja Boxer bike. Normal road tyres, not remotely set up for off-roading, but they fly by her like she's standing still. And it made me realise, these bikes that I see everywhere, these Baja Boxers, they must be the most rugged, dependable little things you can get. Nothing is more at home in Africa than these bikes because of the simplicity, the ease of getting parts, the ease of fixing, the lightness. What you need for off-roading is lightness. Lightness is everything. I remember I was watching, and I tried finding it before recording this, but I just couldn't. I wish I could. I was watching an Instagram video of two huge KTM 1290s adventure bikes, and they're stuck in this 
again, thick mud and they just can't get out. And one person's pushing the other person and the wheel's spinning and then more people are running over to help. And as these two adventure bike riders, fully kitted up with the textile stuff, as they're stuck in the mud, a gentleman comes past on one of these, I believe it is a Baja Boxer, rifle diagonally strapped over the shoulder, no helmet, nothing like that, just normal clothes. And he just glides over this, set, this wet, muddy track like it's nothing. Again, a bike not remotely set up for off-roading, but it's simple, it's light, it's agile, you can manhandle it when needed. These are the bikes. These are the bikes if you want to get out to the middle of nowhere that you need because you can get parts for them, they can be fixed. And if you get stuck in the mud, you can get out of the mud yourself. The Baja Boxer 150, 450 pounds to buy brand new from what I can see. 12 horsepower, 123 kilos, air-cooled, and it will do 150 miles per gallon. What a little machine. On to Rich. Oh, okay. I feel I have to help out here because I said a comment last week that I didn't want to put the Honda NC750 as the top two travel the world bikes along with the Suzuki and Honda Transalp. And the reason I couldn't do that, I said, is because there's one big job on the Honda NC750, which is an engine out job. And the reason I know this is because you, the listener, have told me that there's one unpleasantly big job in these bikes that makes them a little bit of a pain where you have to take the engine out. Someone's got in touch, Rich, and he said, Freddie, please clarify the engine out job on the NC750. I'm an owner and you've got me worried. So please, someone share. What's the one massive job on the Honda NC750 where you have to take the engine out? And I will share it next week so Rich can see. On to Max. Oh, how? Oh, okay, here we go. Honda Transalp, the proof of its everlasting durability. From Max. Oh, how I can tell you about the Honda 650 Transalp, Freddie. In 2007, I bought a brand new one. Spent a year riding it around Africa and back and still own it with 93,000 miles on the clock. In all those miles, it only left me stranded once briefly with a broken clutch cable. It's an uber-reliable tank of a bike. But before you run out and buy one, I must also add that it rides like a tank. With a 19-litre fuel tank sitting as high on the bike as Honda could possibly get it, it's incredibly top-heavy, and it needs that big tank because it only gets 45 miles per gallon. The BMW F800 GS, let me put one on each, each side so you can compare as we talk, or as I talk about these two. BMW F800 GS, Honda Transalp 650. The BMW F800 GS is a far superior design with a 16 litre tank under the seat. See, these are things that I don't think about if you're looking at bikes for, for longer trips and bikes for dynamism. Little things like this that you wouldn't always pick up on. The fuel tank under the seat from the BMW. I carry on 
and the BMW average is 62 miles per gallon. I do love my old Trans Alp for its reliability, but I am getting ready to retire it. And the bike I'm replacing it with? A 2013 BMW F800GS with 9,300 miles on the clock. Look, I don't expect the BMW to be as reliable, but riding them back to back, it's like night and day. They weigh about the same, but the BMW feels and rides like a much lighter, more agile and more engaging bike. I hope I don't regret it, but having ridden the BMW, I'm now ready to take my chances with it. Max, if you do sell that Transalp, and if you're willing to do so, send me an email, dob at hi at choosedatdobs.com because I'd love to share it on here and see if anyone wants to buy it who's got a big passion for these bikes, because I can imagine that's the kind of bike that someone would love to snap up. On to Umbrella Man. I just passed my motorcycle test in the UK two months ago. I've been dreaming of traveling to Scotland on my motorcycle. My motorcycle instructor gave me some advice for buying my first bike. He said, don't spend more than two grand on a bike. So with this in mind, I took a quick look the day after I passed my test and there it was, my now BMW. Get ready for this if you're interested in something a bit left field. Pen and paper to hand, BMW F650 Dakar. Just 10,000 miles on the clock, interesting black and white paint slash stickers, almost immaculate for a 23-year-old bike, just two owners. It needed an MOT, but it passed with just two advisories. So far, I've not spent anything on the bike, but I am planning on top boxes, panniers, maybe crash bars. I go to sleep at night imagining riding to Loch Lomond, Loch Ness, etc. There are good bargains to be had if you've got realistic goals. I didn't know of this bike, Umbrella Man. So I did have to do some Googling on this. And what I found was something extremely appealing. So I've saved one here on Facebook Marketplace. And I've also saved a little bit about it here. So this is from Bennett's and I'll put it up on the side here. Just to give you a little insight. There's nothing wrong. This is from Bennett's. There's nothing wrong with no frills motoring. And if you're after a very cheap and solid commuter that is more than up for a bit of green lane action at the weekend, then BMW's F650 GS models are well worth considering. But what can I find for around about the £2,000 mark? Well, something very nice. Something that looks like it genuinely could be racing along the dunes in the, the Paris-Dakar rally. 2004 BMW F650 GS Dakar in my favorite color combo, blue top of the tank, silver just below it. And with this color combo, with this paintwork, it looks like it could just jump into a desert rally with a lovely little petrol cap just below the seat on the right-hand side. It looks legit, it looks authentic. Here's the advert for this one, 2,300 pounds, but it's been listed two months ago. It shows that these bikes are 
not top of people's list. And my guess for that, the reason for that, people simply don't know it exists. I had no idea about this. So for me to actually go onto Facebook Marketplace and type in BMW F650 GS Dakar, well, you have to really want to know and want to own that very specific model of bike. Otherwise, they just go under the radar for so many people. That's the only reason I can think that this bike is now 2.3K and it's been for sale for two months. These are the kinds of bikes that you want to buy because you can get some incredible deals because they're just not known by the vast majority of people. I move on to Seagar. This is another BMW, very similar to this one, this Dakar one. I have a F650GS, that's the 800cc engine. Don't ask, it seems ludicrously complicated that it's called a 650, but it's actually an 800. But I continue, it's the 800 version. It's a 2012 model, it's my first bike and I love it. I traveled from Russia to Afghanistan and I didn't have any trouble with the bike despite the roads were really bad and I had zero off-road experience. BMW made a really reliable bike. Okay, Seager, what can I find on Facebook Marketplace? Easy. 2013 BMW GS F650. 10-year-old one, 2,800 pounds, quite similar to the Dakar one with that fuel cap just below the right-hand side of the seat. But again, a very smart-looking bike. This one's got 32,000 miles on the clock, plenty of work done, brakes, tires, sprockets, etc. Located in Greenwich, selling due to lack of storage space. But there, two very appealing looking BMWs, both for around about the £2,000 mark. I move on. Gary. Bike of the week, Gary. I was intrigued by this. I have a 2014 Yamaha Super Tenere 1200. I bought it new in March 2015 and it now has 168,000 kilometres of basically trouble-free Kilometers, trouble-free motoring. It's not a popular bike, but it has served me well over several multiple month trips, including a six and a half month, 45,000. I have said that right, 45,000 kilometer trip from home in Mexico City to Alaska and back. It is so overlooked and underrated. Let me give you the stats on this bike and then I'm going to give you insight as to why it's underrated and overlooked. It's a 2010 to 2022 bike. It's got 109 horsepower and it's a heavy, heavyweight, 261 kilos. I think MCN explained very well why this is a bike that will often go under the radar and isn't the most common bike to see in the classifieds. I begin, MCN. There was a time when Yamaha's Tenere range of bikes ruled the earth, literally. As desert and dirt blasters for Paris-Dakar-like competitions, the name Tenere became synonymous with adventure and off-road riding. But then it all went quiet and BMW took on the mantle of adventure bike champions with its modern-day GS range. 
Yamaha's revival started with the 2008 XT660 Tenere, a delightful 660 cylinder, a single cylinder thumper dressed in traditional desert romping plastics. The introduction of the XT1200Z, i.e. the Super Tenere, carries this adventure theme further. The big sticking point, however, and this is why the Super Tenere never sold well. The big sticking point is the 13 and a half thousand pound price tag. To put that into context, that makes it more expensive than a fully loaded BMW R1200 GS Adventure or two thousand pounds more than the KTM 990 Adventure and only 700 pounds less than the all-singing, all-dancing Ducati Multistrada 1200S Touring. As good as the Super 10 is, it can't live with its rivals in terms of on-road performance, build quality and all-round fun factor. In short, it's way overpriced for what it is. That's MCN's words, not mine. But with all this relative unpopularity and fairly uninspiring specs and pricing, what does that mean in reality? Does that mean that we can now get a bike that was very possibly out of most people's price range as little as nine years ago or so? But now has it become affordable? Well, I've found something to wrap it up today. On Auto Trader right now as I speak, there's a 2014 Yamaha Super Tenere, the 1200, £3,999. I'll read a bit of this. Yamaha Super Tenere 1200, the bike that we all know and love and is often our first thought when thinking of adventure-style tours. This particular example is in great condition for the mileage and comes with full givey luggage, etc., etc. Great for all-day touring <coughs> at home or abroad. One of the reasons this is such a tantalizing price is because it's got 69,000 miles on the clock. But is that not what these kind of bikes are made for. That's exactly what it's designed to do. So I cannot see that as a negative at all. This is why it's so exciting. Because just a few years ago, many of us may have looked at this, the 1200 Tenere, and thought, look, that's a lovely bit of kit. That's a lovely machine. But I cannot afford something like that. That is just too rich for my blood. I'll have to leave it. But now, only a few years on, suddenly something that was a dream level bike and unattainable is right into that almost impossible to mix or almost impossible to miss area. Sub 4K for so much bike. That's when things get impossibly exciting. And I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much everyone for listening. And before I forget, last video before Christmas. Have a fantastic Christmas, everyone. Thank you all so much over this past year for all of your, all of your lovely comments and sharing your opinions and just getting involved and simply just watching. I appreciate it so much. I hope you all have an amazing festive period and I will see you just after Christmas. Have a good and all.